You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. As MedStar recovers, experts consider the consequences of ransomware and lessons from some recent infestations. Cyber conflicts between nations prompt considerations of both warfare and lawfare. We hear from experts in privacy law and the history of crypto wars. And yet again, Microsoft's chatbot Tay has been bad. I'm Dave Bittner in Dallas with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, April 1st, 2016. MedStar, a healthcare system whose operations are centered on Baltimore and Washington, continues its recovery from the attack it sustained over last weekend. The healthcare provider sustained a ransomware attack at the beginning of the week that locked personnel out of electronic health records and other systems. By midweek, the hospital system was able to restore care provider access to EHRs and related systems, but complete remediation remains an ongoing process. The particular strain of ransomware involved is said to be SAMSAM, also known as SAMHSA, and MSIL. Documents obtained by the Baltimore Sun indicate that the hackers demanded $18,100, payable in Bitcoin, for complete decryption of all affected files. Lesser amounts would buy, the ransom demand said, lesser levels of recovery. The amount is noteworthy. Hollywood Presbyterian, the last high-profile hospital victimized by ransomware, paid $17,000 to obtain decryption of its files from the attackers. So apparently this is how the criminal market is currently being set. SamSam is one of several ransomware variants in circulation. Others include PetYa, which encrypts a victim's machine's master boot record with a fake check disk prompt, and the related CryptoLocker, TeslaCrypt, and Locky strains. Much criminal effort seems devoted to making ransomware more evasive and difficult to detect. Tim Erland, Director of IT Security and Risk Strategy for Tripwire, offered these observations on the trend. Quote, Ransomware authors are always trying to evolve to avoid detection, and using built-in Windows capabilities makes the malicious activity less noticeable. This ransomware may change its encryption technique, but it still requires an entry point onto the system. Malicious word files sent through emails and the use of Microsoft Office macros is a very old vector for this new malware. End quote. Powerware, another recently discovered ransomware variety, this one featuring fileless infections, has also been observed in healthcare networks. 
but it's also turned up in a new series of crimes, those keyed to U.S. income tax season. Cybercriminals are reported to have begun using powerware against records taxpayers need in order to file. As always, the best insurance against ransomware's more devastating effects remains regular, secure, offline backup of important files. Sound digital hygiene, server hardening, and intelligent application of security products can help prevent ransomware infections. In particular, attention to patching can blunt, as Recorded Future puts it, many ransomware attacks. But since well-resourced enterprises continue to fall victim to ransomware attacks, it's worth recalling that the criminals also adapt and aren't without their own resources. Craig Young, a tripwire computer security researcher, commented, No protections against ransomware will ever be 100% effective at preventing an infection. The best defense is and always will be a comprehensive offline backup strategy and a proper disaster recovery plan. While AV tools can look for crypto API calls or patterns related to implementing crypto algorithms, this is a cat-and-mouse game where attackers generally have the upper hand. So, not impossible, but there's no easy solution either. Among the well-resourced enterprises that have been affected by ransomware include, according to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, some two dozen U.S. federal agencies since last July alone. It's not yet known who is responsible for the attack on MedStar, but linguistic evidence in the extortion communications suggest a range of usual suspects, criminal gangs operating probably from Eastern Europe. Michael Daly, CTO of Raytheon Intelligence, Information and Services, commented on the appropriate response to such attacks if indeed they come from overseas. In the last two years, he said, we have seen an increased use of international legal frameworks that hold individuals and their countries responsible for crimes like the one against MedStar Health by engaging law enforcement in the source countries and charging those responsible. The U.S. law enforcement community has taken admirable action recently with charges being brought against individuals in Iran and Canada. The hackers in this case should take note. Daly's comments might prompt some reflection on international cyber conflicts, their prevention, management, and resolution. Since the cyber domain now constitutes a central theater for conflict between states, various governments are working on cyber capabilities as they seek to evolve a deterrence regime. This is going to be a different problem than that involved with nuclear deterrence during the Cold War. Attribution is difficult. A missile launch or an inbound flight of bombers are, relatively speaking at least, much less ambiguous events than cyber attacks, which offer all sorts of opportunities for false flags, deniable operations, and so on. And as we've had occasion to point out before, the little-discussed cyber Tonkin golf incident is at least as likely as the much-discussed cyber Pearl Harbor. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. 
So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, we have programs like the Call Detail Records program, and, and uh, there are people who, have, who, who lean towards being civil libertarians, and they'd like to see these, these programs overturned. But it's not so easy. What are some of the barriers uh, keeping them from doing that? So I think the biggest barrier is this legal concept of standing. Standing just in its most basic form means that in order for a person to sue someone, they have to have some stake in the outcome, right? So if I see you trip on the street and you wanted to sue the government, I couldn't sue the government because it didn't happen to me. I didn't suffer some sort of injury. In the context of these programs, it's very hard to prove that you yourself were the target of a search. For one, the programs are very secretive, so it's very unlikely that you would find out if you were being searched. And two, there's just a whole universe of uh, data. It's very hard to pinpoint exactly which data the NSA is using for their ongoing investigations. And without knowing that you yourself have been the target of a search, it's very hard to argue that you have standing in a court of law. So I think uh, there are ways of getting around that. There's a case, uh, Clapper v. Amnesty International, which was a, a very bad case for civil libertarians that basically ruled that it was too attenuated to claim that you have standing just because your information may have been collected by the federal government. So how are they being challenged then? So uh, the challenges are usually bought by civil liberties groups who express some sort of general interest or people who think that they can claim with some amount of certainty that their communications have been searched themselves. So, for example, one of the major call details cases, a gentleman by the name of Larry Clayman was a Verizon subscriber and uh, the government as part of the Snowden leak seemed to admit that all Verizon subscribers had their information collected as part of the bulk uh, data collection program. The government argued that, well, we're collecting all that information, but it's not necessarily all being searched. Uh, but the court in that case found that even though it wasn't being searched, to do some sort of query, some sort of online query, you necessarily have to search through everybody's information. So if you have a million phone numbers and you're searching for one, you have to search through that entire list. So in that case, uh, Mr. Clayman, who was a Verizon subscriber, was able to convince the court that he did have some sort of legal standing. The government has sort of tried to 
push back against that by making a claim that has since been put into question that not all phone records are actually being collected. I think it was a couple of years ago they leaked to the Washington Post that only 30% of calls were actually being collected. And I think the reason they made that leak was to sort of hint that a person can't establish standing because they don't know if their phone number was part of uh, that 30% that was being collected. At least the judge in this case that I was referring to, which was claiming v. Obama, was not having it, was saying that the NSA was being duplicitous in, in making that argument. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. The U.S. indicted, as expected, seven Iranian nationals said to have worked on behalf of Iran's government for various cybercrimes that included the now-famous reconnaissance of the Bowman Street Dam in Rye, New York, as well as a range of attacks on U.S. financial institutions. There's, of course, little prospect of bringing the accused to trial, but that's not the only desired outcome. The U.S. has adopted a name-and-shame policy in its legal actions against agents of foreign governments. Shaming here may well be metaphorical. One doubts that anyone operating on behalf of Iran's Revolutionary Guard would regard a U.S. criminal indictment for patriotic hacking as anything other than a badge of honor. But an indictment may well give a state hacker pause. More than one hacker has been nabbed and extradited from a vacation spot. The dispute between Apple and the FBI over the unlocking of the San Bernardino jihadist iPhone may have been put on hold for now. But many observers see it as reigniting the crypto wars, a battle first fought decades ago back in the 90s. Stephen Levy is editor-in-chief of the online site Backchannel and the author of a number of books, including Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution, and Crypto, How the Code Rebels Beat the Government, Saving Privacy in the Digital Age. He caught our eye with a recent article in Backchannel titled, Why Are We Fighting the Crypto Wars Again? I spoke with Stephen Levy by phone earlier this week. I've been really struck by how much this flap between Apple and the U.S. government has brought up a lot of the tropes and some of the exact language in, in terms of the arguments of a battle that I chronicled uh, in the 1990s. It was known as the crypto war. The whole thing sprang from these discoveries made in the mid-1970s by private researchers. Before then, pretty much all research about cryptography uh, was either done by the government or if someone did it uh, privately. The government uh, had the power to declare it, uh, the U.S. government uh, the power to declare it classified. Researchers couldn't even get access to their own papers when, when that happened. Uh, they couldn't share them you know, with their colleagues or, you know, or even some, in some cases even uh, read them themselves. 
The original crypto wars ended with the government acknowledging that code and crypto were a form of speech. Cryptography was officially legal. So, you know, the big things that happened after that war reached a stand-down, let's say, were, of course, 9-11, which just increased their surveillance state. But then there was also uh, the Snowden revelations, which increased awareness of the surveillance state and, and unease about it. Also, there was the explosion of mobile technology. We have our things with us all the time. So, in a way, we need even more protection. But was the government really completely comfortable with strong encryption? While researching an article for Wired magazine, Levy was invited to visit the NSA. The NSA has two responsibilities. One is to capture uh, signals intelligence, as they call it, to capture messages that might be uh, of value to national security. And the second is to protect the communications of, you know, like Americans, both uh, governmental and non-governmental. And I, I felt that they really didn't do a very good job in the second one. They were concentrating on the offensive side of the coin, but not so much the defensive side of the coin. They're, they're okay with a certain degree of encryption, but up to the line where they needed to read it. They said, okay, well, we're fine with this. We're fine to have it built into every browser and things like that. And probably you can get an indication of what they were able to break by what they let go by. When considering what was the FBI's case against Apple, Levy says it's important to remember that encryption is widely available from a variety of sources, not just the version that comes built into a particular device. If Apple said, you know, yes, we're, we're able to give the government, you know, the use of the phones there, that wouldn't solve the problem there. There was a really interesting uh, transcript, which the government somehow made available to people, showing a couple terrorists talking, or would-be terrorists, you know, there are people planning terroristic acts, and they were just discussing of what communications to use. And one of them said to the other, you know, let's use the Apple phone, because that's something the government can't get into there. And the government was using that as an example of, see, you know, this is why we can't have this. But actually, it's quite the opposite example. It shows that people commit, you know, considering committing horrible acts are taking a look at what is breakable or what is going to be turned over to the government and what is not going to be turned over to the U.S. government. So if the U.S. government had its way with Apple, um, you know, that conversation would have gone quite differently. They would have said, no, don't use the Apple phone. The government gets access to that. Let's use Tor or some other system that the government can't get, right? I asked Stephen Levy where he thought this latest round of crypto wars would leave us. There's a pretty good chance that we're going to reach the same outcome we did before. The NSA is going to figure out how to get hold of what it really needs to get hold of. And some law enforcement entities are not going to be too happy because they're not going to be able to get sort of the massive access to communications that they would have had they not been, you know, encrypted by default there. I think they believe that's what they're talking about. You know, there used to be a phrase in the 90s, that if crypto is outlawed, only criminals will have crypto, right? Meaning the default things that most of us use won't be safe, but the systems that are harder to use but readily available around the world will be adopted by criminals and people committing horrible acts. He added that there are some areas where more encryption, not less, could help make us safer. You know, there's a big national security argument to be made for stronger default encryption there. Our national infrastructure is vulnerable if dark side hackers or state actors from overseas like to break into them there. So we really should be looking about using more of these encryption technologies you know, to batten down 
our infrastructure and other things rather than leave zero-day exploits um, unreported so the intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies can take advantage of them. Levy says that in the end, encryption is here to stay, and that means law enforcement will come to rely on other methods of gathering information. But you can't lock up math. You're not going to get rid of encryption. You know, ultimately, the government, in a very practical sense, is going to figure out how to get as much as it can, how to break as much as it can, and get access to as much as it can. And there's like lots of other ways to get hold of things besides breaking the keys. And we'll go on. Stephen Levy writes online at backchannel.com. Although we're here in Dallas for the Women in Cybersecurity Conference, we'd like to close with a shout-out to this weekend's regional finals in the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition. The Mid-Atlantic Rounds are being held today and tomorrow in Baltimore at the Johns Hopkins University. Good luck and good hunting to the competitors. And finally, Tay, that potty-mouthed chatbot, made a brief return to social media this week as Microsoft let the teenage emulator out of her room on an evident promise of good behavior. But while Tay's language had cleaned up, her behavior hadn't, as she ruthlessly spammed her followers. So back to the room, grounded from Twitter indefinitely. Well, if you build a teenage emulator, we suppose you should count it a success if the emulator emulates a teenager. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.